We are studying in the Gospel of John. We're now looking at the farewell discourse of Christ. And we're now at chapter 15, the first 11 verses. These are all the words of Jesus. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples in the late evening before the day he was to be crucified. It's another I am saying of Jesus. We've seen Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. Here we have another I am. Am saying. Same formula in the language. Ego I me. He says twice in this passage that he is the vine. But in the very first time he says it, he uses a word true. I am the true vine, the authentic vine, the real vine. Now I'm going to tell you, you have no clue what that means unless you know your Old Testament. And I'm going to help you out a little bit. Can I teach for just a moment before we start? If you will, I'd like for you to turn, but you don't have to. Just listen. There are about eight passages in the Old Testament, extended passages in the prophets, and then a couple in the Psalms that speak often of this vine. I'm selected one because it gets to the real heart of the matter. It's in... Isaiah chapters 4 and 5, the latter part of chapter 4, or most of chapter 4 in chapter 5. Since we are always starved for time at this hour, I will just tell you things that I would love to prove to you and show you in Scripture because it will delight your heart. But the truth is that the nation of Israel was considered by God to be a vine. He said, I've brought a vine out of Egypt and I have planted it in 
the Holy Land, in Canaan's land. And the vine spread all over the place. In fact, Ephraim is referred to as a vine. The whole nation of Israel is a vine. This is, this is referenced in many, many places, but it's spelled out in, in about six different passages tell the same prophetic truth. The vine was planted. The vine is Israel. The vine was planted in the land, but the vine bore bitter fruit. The vine would not bear fruit. The vine became corrupt. The vine became unproductive. In fact, the vine became nothing but a tangle of waves and thistles and thorns and everything you can imagine. It became a vile vine, a repulsive vine. And so God had no choice but to go in and cut off the vine because of the unbelief of Israel and the great sins of Israel. But the Lord then promises that the vine will be restored, that out of that stump where it was cut off from the earth, cut off from the soil, there will come forth a branch, and that branch will grow, and that branch then will become a new vine. It will be planted and rooted in the old vine, but it'll be a new vine. That is, the branch is Jesus Christ. He is that new vine that comes out of the stump of Israel and grows to become a new vine. And those that are in him, by faith, in relationship to him, abide in him, remain in him, are placed in him, become the branches that bear fruit, the good fruit. And this, of course, is the true Israel. I didn't say new Israel. We say new Israel. That's true, but it it, it sounds like it's a brand new thing, like God scrubbed everything and started all over. No, no, no. God brought it out of the same stump, out of the same soil, and out of the same promises. It came out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of Israel. Now let me just read one big long paragraph there in chapter 4 of Isaiah, which will help you see this. And I'm going to just, as we go along, I'm going to tell you what these things represent. There's good biblical basis and theological basis for all of it, but I don't have time to to go down those paths right now. But listen, in chapter 4, verse 2, in that day, that's the day of promise, that's the day of fulfillment, that's the day when God's going to bring things to pass. In that day, the branch of the Lord, that's Jesus Christ, shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. In other words, there's going to come forth a gorgeous vine, a beautiful vine that will be rich and will have branches, and it'll be fruitful, and it'll be a pleasure to look at it. There's nothing more beautiful than a um, well-pruned vineyard or a beautifully planted field, or a beautiful orchard. That's that's what God is going to send in Christ. He's going to be like that. And it'll be a pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. The survivors of Israel are the remnant of Israel. Those natural branches that are grafted back in, as Paul expands the metaphor in the book of Romans. The survivors of Israel is the remnant of Israel. It's another word for the church, the true people of God. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem, that's the survivors, will be called holy. 
everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. Jerusalem in the New Testament is the church. It's a bride, and there's a record, there's a census roll on that city. And the names on that census roll are the believers in Jesus Christ, the true vine, the true branch that comes forth. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion. Hang on to that word, washed away the filth. And cleanse the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. Hang on to that night, that idea of burning as we look to the New Testament in a moment. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies. The assemblies are the ecclesias, the synagogues, the gatherings, the churches. The Lord will create over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. What's this a picture of? This is the picture of the Old Testament wilderness wanderings where God was in the midst of his people as a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And this will be a canopy that will be over them for all over the glory. Hang on to that word glory. There will be a booth for shade by night from the heat and a refuge and a shelter from the storm and the rain. Isn't that a marvelous passage? That's a passage of Jesus Christ coming out of Israel, providing atonement, the survivors of Israel becoming the true assemblies of the Lord God. Now let me just read one of of eight passages in the Old Testament that talk about what I just mentioned ago about how the Lord has treated the vine that was brought out of Egypt. Listen, this is called the vineyard song. You know the servant songs in Isaiah. Well, this is the vineyard song. It's found in chapter 5. In fact, it's the very next verse in the, in the prophecy. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and he cleared it of stones. He planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out of wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. You see, the the father as the husbandman, the gardener that does all the tending, plants the vine, prunes the vine, builds the wall, and and, and sets up the uh, the wine vat for the processing. He looked for it to yield grapes. The Lord had told him in the Old Testament, if you love me, keep my commandments. And they had not done that, and it yielded wild Grapes And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than I have done in it when I looked for it to yield grapes? Why did it yield wild grapes? In other words, the vineyard had failed. It had brought forth bitter fruit, not good fruit. And so notice the next paragraph. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. It will be devoured. I will break down its wall. It will be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. The briars and the thorns shall grow up. And I will also command the clouds and that they will rain upon it. And just in case you're wondering, verse 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of the host is the house of Judah and the men The house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. He looked for justice, but behold, there was bloodshed for righteousness. There was an outcry. And then it just goes on and talks about how the productivity of the vineyard is down, how it it renders much less 
than it was supposed to. And on and on and on. Basically, it's the failure of God's people Israel. That's what Jesus has come to do, is to redeem Israel, to restore the fortunes of Israel, to restore the fortunes of Judah, to rebuild the house of David. And now he's telling his disciples that I am the true vine. They knew about the vine, all about the vine. They knew their their Old Testament scriptures. And Jesus says he is the true vine. That is, he is the one that has come to be the true source of life. And he says he's the true vine, and he says his father is the gardener. We say the vine dresser, but it's really the common word for gardener and, and, and farmer in general. In other words, he's done everything in the, in the vineyard. So listen now carefully to the application. It makes sense now. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Two things. There are dead branches, unbelievers in Israel and throughout the world, people that do not believe in Jesus Christ. And the Father goes in and he cuts off the dead branches. Later in the text, he'll say he sets them aside. They wither because they're cut off from the source of life, the true vine. And then they are burned. The Old Testament passage, burning is always in the Bible a symbol of judgment, of God's judgment. Sometimes it's a purifying judgment, sometimes it's a punitive judgment, but it's always judgment. Dead branches are cut off and burned. What happens to the live branches? The live branches are pruned. And literally the word here is the word where we get our word catharsis, which means to cleanse. Those those branches that are alive and remain in the vine and are part of the, the system of the vine and get their life from the vine, those branches are pruned. Now there's two ways that you go about pruning the branch. One is you cut off everything that does not bear fruit. When you find the section of the branch that's not bearing fruit, you cut it off because it is not going to bear fruit. It's just going to consume the nutrients and the sap and produce beautiful leaves, but no fruit. So it's cut off. Then, if you've ever seen any kind of vine or tree, there's always these little twigs and leaves that go up along the branch all the way. Well, each one of those just take and use the nutrients. So they're all clipped off. And so the branch comes out looking pretty sparse. If you've ever seen a freshly pruned tree, you know that sometimes it's back to just the simple branches and the branches have been cut and shortened and the the word is cleansed. They've been cleansed. This This is the work of God in sanctification. And later on in the passage, he'll say, if you need something of God for your sanctification, ask him. If you abide in me, you can ask whatever you want. And the Lord will help you. He will help you overcome a sin. He will help you meet a trial. He will help you overcome a difficulty. He will help you change your lifestyle in your sanctification. This is the cleansing process that the Father is doing by cleaning off all those little things. 
And one of the interesting things to me, there may not be anything particularly bad about the little leaf that grows up along the stem of the, of the branch, but we just don't need it. And so we cut it off. And that's the way there may be a lot of things in our lives. There may not be anything intrinsically wrong with it. It may not be a heinous sin or a high crime or a misdemeanor even. But it's things we don't need. And it's taken away from the fruitfulness. Now, the fruitfulness is exactly what God expected out of Israel. Love and obedience. If you will love me, keep my commandments. And that's exactly, Jesus has not changed the formula one bit. If you love me, keep my commandments. He says he keeps the Father's commandments, the Father's love abides in him, and the keeping of the commandments, simple obedience is what is fruit-bearing. And what happens is, as you work and as the Father works on you, and by the way, sanctification, we always say theologically, is a synergistic process. That means you work and God works together. In your justification, it's monergistic. One person working. God works, Christ works, the Spirit works. They do it all for your justification and your righteousness. But in sanctification, it's you striving. It's you yielding. It's you crucifying sin. It's you studying. And you're becoming clean and cleansed. And Jesus said we're cleansed by the word that's in us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. That's his commandments and that's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us, to, that's why we go to the Bible to study is because there is a cleansing. There's a pruning, a catharsis that comes as we put the word of God and God's thoughts in our mind and God's way of thinking and God's outlook and God's perspective in our mind. And we are changed and we are we are brought to much fruit. And you noticed in the passage it talked about glory. And that's exactly what good works do. The Lord said earlier when teaching his disciples, he said, your good works, people will see and they will glorify the Father in heaven. And the glory of God on earth is shown by the good works and the fruit of believers. I continue to hurry, but the fruit is found in Galatians 5. It's nothing but the fruit of the Spirit. He's already talked about love, how much He loves them and how they are to love Him and how He loves the Father and how the Father loves Him. And He says His love abides with Him. He's already talked about uh, peace. In chapter 14, He said, My peace, my shalom, my salvation, my goodness, my abundance, I give to you, I leave to you. And He talks now about joy. And then, of course, long-suffering and temperance and gentleness, goodness, meekness, kindness, all these other things that we consider as part of the fruit of the Spirit come come into play. But he talks about joy. And here's where I just kind of sum it up. If people see our good works as believers, our kindness, our tolerance, our love, our sacrificial giving, are working to do the very best for ourselves, the very best for our families, the very best for our communities, the very best for our city and for our nation and for our world. If they see us feeding and lifting up and helping, they see these good works and we do it in the name of the Lord in spite of persecution and in spite of suffering and in spite of all the limitations and all the opposition of Satan. We continue to do that. It brings glory to God. And this brings us joy. 
The joy of the Lord is not some emotional, exhilarating experience for a moment. Although it may be that. I've had that, haven't you? (laughs) But it's more than that. It's a deep, settled satisfaction. It's a gladdening of the heart that says we know the Lord, we belong to the Lord, we're doing the will of the Lord, we're in the favor of the Lord, our joy is in our sins are forgiven. Our joy is we have a home in heaven. We have a joy in serving the Lord and each other. And that's all that our little confession in our catechism says. What's the chief duty of man? To glorify God by our good works, by our much fruit bearing. And to enjoy Him forever. That's what Jesus wanted. He wanted us to have fullness of joy. 